Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Everyone, welcome to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It is the 23rd of June, 2016, and for the first time ever, first time in Webcology history, from when we were back at WebmasterRadio.fm up to the time we are now at Cranberry.fm, Dave Davies and I are actually performing the show in the same room because I'm on vacation in Victoria, British Columbia today. Dave, how you doing, brother? It is, uh, it's fantastic, and it is interesting to be chatting with you. Of course, that creates a weird kind of like uh, echoey kind of thing going on here, so people have to pardon if there's a little uh, little glitch on, on that one. Because, yeah, I'm sitting about 10 feet away from my uh, longtime co-host and uh, even longer-time good friend, uh, Mr. Jim Hedger. We're doing it, uh, I guess, more live, and then coming up after the break, we have a guest who's coming on live. Um, we're going to be joined by Larry Kim, so I, I'm really, really looking forward to that one. But we've got news. Um, SMX Advance has been going on. Uh, Jim, where do you want to start? We've had a big, big week. It has been a big week, and it's hard to tell where we want to start. Like, uh, you know what? Why don't we go? A lot of the stuff that got said uh, happened at SMX was uh, Gary Eyes Gary was uh, talking. He did the uh, hangout with um, Danny Sullivan last night, the uh, Ask Google Anything hangout. And one of the things that came out of it was a lot of fun about Rank Brain. Oh, I'm sorry, about uh, Panda. Panda still rose out over months after refreshing scores. Um, so even though Panda is part of Everflux, it's part of the constant algorithm, it's always rolling, always evaluating, it could t- actually take months for a... for. Okay, Google visits your site. It, it's, it, it crawls the heck out of your site today. It might actually take months for the scores and it generates to affect your rankings. So, you know, Dave, we were, we were hoping for a universe where we'd be able to see the effect of our work, um, you know, hours, days even, after, after working it. As it turns out, it, it, it feels like the old Google dance days, you know, eight, nine years ago, where you do your work today, you wait a couple months, and you see what happens. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's exactly right. Um, I mean, we, we haven't gone back, and I think we were hoping to. We haven't gone back to those days pre-Google dance, where, and, and back then there were, what, 20, 30 different search engines that actually mattered. Uh, where you can actually make adjustments, and then you just use their use their submit URL form, and yeah, five minutes later you'd see your rankings change. Um, now it's back in the meta non-link, um, you know, aspects or, or influence quite the same. Um, but yeah, it, it's 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 an interesting time. It makes a lot of sense when you think about how Panda functions, and, and even Penguin, right? How Penguin has to function. Um, clearly, they need to know what that page exists and then put it into the larger context. So you know, you don't want to penalize a site for having a page with super thin content to find out, no, it's a great site. Their contact page is thin. You know, it only has a couple hundred, or, you know, maybe uh, maybe 20 words um, and a form, and that's, that's totally fine for the context of what it is. So it makes sense um, what they're doing there, but um, yeah, it, it's, it's not the instant we were all kind of hoping for. Well, Google's got a lot more complicated over the last, what, um, 
three, four years. A uh, story we're about to talk about, uh, Rank Brain, pertains to this, to uh, uh, Google and uh, this iteration of Panda, um, Panda 4.2. Google, I'm, I'm taking this from uh, today's search engine uh, roundtable. So, so Barry Schwartz wrote this up. Google will crawl the web, pick up on signals, and assign your site a Panda score. Uh, a new score for your site, it'll push that score to your page for months. So, Dave, you, you put something up, Google crawls it, and if, if, if I'm reading this correctly or understanding this correctly, it slowly pushes the score. So you're not going to see a jump in rankings. Uh, you, you're not going to go from, like, say, position 20 to position 2, but you might go up slowly. I mean, how do you read that? Well, I read it exactly like you did. Um, and what I think we're hearing here, and, and of course we're all sort of speculating, and then we'll find out about all of this as, as time passes, but I think what we're dealing with, because of the context that Rank Brain functions in, so for our listeners who, who don't know, I don't know where you've been for the past year, but for those who don't know, it's basically built to deal with queries that Google hasn't seen before. So what we're seeing here, um, you know, or, or seen very little, and so they, they don't really have a context to put things in. Um, so what I think we're, we're seeing here is basically a scenario, and it makes perfect sense, where they're having to base their the overall ability for your site to rank for, for query X, Y, or Z that it really doesn't have a lot of experience with, and, and certainly not enough to rank a page on. And um, what we're seeing here is a case where they're having to judge your entire domain as relevant for this query. And so I think that's why, um, you know, it, it's sort of, to me, a, a lot like trying to turn a battleship. Right, like yes, you can make these minor adjustments onto a page, and that's sort of yeah, rank brain, right? And you can sort of shift a you know shift this aircraft carrier, you know by by you know feet, but that's hardly going to turn the thing around. And to actually make any dramatic changes, you need to actually change the entire domain. And I mean, or maybe you don't. Maybe you're ranking under rank brain for something you shouldn't be, um, and, and and nor should you. So I, I think that's really what we're seeing here is that it's such a, a large behemoth, your, your relevancy for a topic on a website, but yeah, these little outliers like rank brain ranking your page is going to be based more on the overall relevancy of your domain. So making tweaks to a page to try and rank for something isn't really going to have a large impact. You're going to have to basically work the entire domain to improve your relevancy overall. Okay, so what has this got to do with the um, uh, Afri- Afri- Afris, uh, uh artificial intelligence called Rank Brain? Well, when your search engine user makes a query to Google, the first thing it's going to go through, the query itself, is through Rank Brain, and Rank Brain is going to try to figure out what this this query means. Now, when it was introduced uh, uh, back in the autumn, last autumn, they were they were saying it would affect maybe fifteen percent of searches. According to a presentation that was done by um, Stephen Levy. Uh, at SMX uh, uh, just the other day, Rank Brain is now the third most important sig- ranking signal behind content and links. That might sound weird to listeners because we just said that, that Rank Brain is all about the query. Well, the query has to be weighed against information found on the website, on the domain. And that information. You remember how you know Google tries to understand the context of the query? 
Rank brain is understand is working to understand the context of the syntax on the pages themselves. So it's got this like it it appears to have this uh, uh, two pronged function. It's judging and sometimes actually changing the query to match it up with what Google thinks you're looking for or the search is looking for. But it's also evaluating the content on the page. Um, I guess to to to. to completely paraphrase to match it up with the queries that are coming in. Well, and, and that makes a lot of sense. Like when you, when you think about a, a context Google's having to work in right now, I mean, this makes absolutely a lot of sense. Um, we end up in a spot and we, you know, we've all heard it and we've all debated it, you know, sort of endlessly. How do you optimize and rank brain, which is really what we're all, all kind of dealing with. Um, and this is a, a unique case where, yeah, Google's trying to understand a context and they're using AI for that to actually try and extrapolate from something they have little experience with. So they don't have, you know, click-through rate data for their for their current set of SERPs for it. They don't. Have, you, know, you can think of sort of topical, um, you know, on-the-fly queries that might get put in, right? So something is related to an event that's happening right now, um, and so Google doesn't have enough experience with it. So basically, what we're hitting is a, a scenario where they're trying to extrapolate definition um, and what a user is actually trying to accomplish with a with a set query to try and match that up for new pages or or pages that might be in existence but that, that relate sort of to something they haven't seen before. Um, I think it's interesting. At the end of the day, and it's funny, we've been talking about this, Jim. I mean, I know this is true to your heart. I, I've leaned historically more to um, the technical side. I know you've you've leaned a, a lot on content through your through your career and and have created some great stuff. Um, what uh, what I think we end up seeing here, though, at the end of the day, is a scenario where, yup, you need to keep building good content, and if you focus it on your users and word it the way they would be wording it, RankBrain's going to reward you. So if you're gearing your content to something topical, if you're paying attention to your industry and producing content on the fly, um, you're going to end up being rewarded because RankBrain's going to come in, recognize that when a user is searching for X, Y, or Z, and it may be something extremely time-sensitive, you're the one with the copy there because you wrote it specifically for them and they'll be able to get, they're not great at it now, but over time they'll get better and better at matching you with the user's intent. Well, keep in mind, um, and this, again, this is, uh, you know, straight from, from the mouth of Google, um, rank brain is not the most important or even the second most important set of signals that uh, Google looks at when, when figuring out how a website will rank against or a document rank against similar documents important. Number one, content on your site. Concentrate on that. Number two, incoming links. Uh, concentrate on them. But um, as Dave said, figure out the how would you you know what I'm not sure how to write for rank brain. I think I think you almost have to write as simply as possible, as clearly as possible, um, giving it as many, you know, synonyms um uh, items to grab onto to, you know, make that evaluation. This could be about um, the spectrum of letters that we call vowel, vowels, A-E-I-O-U, um, but not necessarily about why. What, what do you think? I mean, do you, do you, do you got to be a generalist for Frank Brain now? 
Well, I think I think it sort of hit the nail on the head there. I think what we're we're dealing with is a scenario, and understanding we're not just talking about rank brain, really. I mean, we are, but what we're talking about is the future of search. You know, this is going to carry forward as they get it more and more refined. This is going to have larger and larger impacts on on search as a whole. Um, I, I think what we're dealing with here is a case where, as I'm writing, I need to consider what is going to appeal most to my user. I, I know everybody's been talking about that for like a decade, but now we've got an algorithm catching up to us here. What we need to do if we're writing for that user and making sure we're using not just words that would be synonyms, but related words. So let's say I'm writing um, you know, a piece on New York City, for example, and I want to make sure that Google is, and, and this is sort of a more broad, more generalized SEO sort of example, but, and I want to make sure Google understands that my page is about the history of New York. I'm going to need to include words like Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, because Google understands that these are terms that are related to the history of New York. We'll take that further and make sure, especially if you're dealing with time-sensitive stuff, um, that you're actually including full scope um, information. So you're actually including, think about your user, think about what their intent is, and make sure you're matching what the page is. Make sure you're using terms that would naturally appear on the page. Um, you know, as it relates to your subject matter, don't create this, this tiny little thin piece in hope of capturing something fast. Make sure you're including those terms. Make sure you're actually building a page that appeals to the user and uses the words they would and provides that information to them quickly and, and, and readily. Um, and you're going to win in the, in the world of rank brain because it's built to go in and try and understand the context of your page and assign it to a user intent. Um, so you're going to need to actually work a little bit harder and make sure you're including, yeah, the original terms, yeah, some synonyms, and, and some related terms as well just to help Google really lock down the context. Well, and, you know, not bad advice even when you're not thinking about rank brain because we're not only writing for an algorithm naturally, we're writing for human users as well, and human users use a whole variety of words to describe stuff. And remember, everything Google's doing right now is building for the future they perceive as coming, which is going to be mostly mobile searches conducted by, you know, asking Google a question verbally. So, hey, Google, where's a good pizza place? Hey, Google, where do I get... Um, where, where, where do I get X, Y, or Z, the, the products I wanted to pick up? Um, that's Google's looking at verbal search, and this is why I, I think Rank Brain is like, you know, essential for them moving forward. Oh, indeed, indeed. This is, a, is, is part and parcel of, of everything they're trying to accomplish. And the, the massive growth in voice-based search um, it is just going to make it, I mean, even let's assume, and, and, and I don't think this is the case, let's assume they don't take AI and put it into generalized search. Um, the fact is when people search with their voice, it's, it's different than when they're searching with, you know, I, I'm searching on a phone with my fat thumbs. I, I, I'm definitely searching different than when I use voice search. Um, and so the queries are naturally going to be impacted by rank brain more just because the nature of the way you search um, is, is going to be adjusted because you'll search in, in much more natural language, which Google has a lot less, you know, sort of context to, to work in. Um, and, you know, they're me just entering in, you know, pizza, New York. Well, they've seen that query millions of times, you know, by voice, I'd be like, where's a pizza place close to me in New York that has great pepperoni pizza, right? Or something like that. Now they have this weird query. They need to try and figure out rank brain will kick in. Um, so I think, yeah, we're, we're going to see it grow a lot over time. I think it will be folded into the generalized algorithm, but I think even if it didn't, I mean, it will, but even if it didn't, um, we're going to see its impact grow 
steadily over time. I don't think it's going to be long before it supersedes links as far as um, number of individual queries that it impacts. That's interesting. It's, it's, uh, that, 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 that makes my, makes my eyebrows uh, sort of push themselves together as I puzzle through this. Um, you know what? I think I think it's going to impact 100% of searches. If it isn't already impacting 100% of searches, the question is, how does it impact it, and what's the the, the breadth of it uh, of of that impact? We got to. Uh, I want to keep talking rank brain, but we got to move on because we got holding on the line. We got Larry Kim, and Larry Kim is a kind of a busy guy. I uh, feel kind of kind of weird having him hold on the line. So this is probably a good time to take a break here on Webcology on Cranberry.fm. Uh, you're listening to uh, you're listening to Webcology on Cranberry. This is on behalf of Dave Davis from Being Second in Marketing. This is Jim Hedge from Digital Waste Media. Stick around. We got Larry just. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at box speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contests and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Webcology takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and uh, this is kind of exciting. I have been reading our guests' work on uh, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, in many of the major trade journals. I love this guy's writing. I love this guy's thinking. We have, and you know what, I'm going to throw this to Dave, because uh, Dave, you were down at a conversion conference uh, a couple of weeks ago, and you, and, and you met this fellow, had a great time. Dave, why don't you introduce who's coming in? 
Yeah, and for, for people who've been hitting this news button, you don't know that I've been talking about this for about three weeks. Um, we have on Larry Kim, uh, founder of WordStream. Larry, it is an absolute pleasure. I heard your conversion conference. I had to drag you on the show. You were kind enough to join us. Thank you for joining us on the show. Um, how, how's, I know you've been, you've been super busy. How's been, uh, been your time since, uh, since conversion conference? Uh, you know, just same old. Uh, thanks, thanks so much, uh, Dave and Jim, for having me on your show. Uh, it's great to be here. Wonderful. Well, I, you know what? I'm going to start. I, I, there's, there's something I knew I needed to share with our, our listeners, and you had mentioned it, and it just blew me away. Um, and, and so much of your writing does this to me. I read it, and I'm like, oh, I feel like an idiot for not catching this. Right? Like, where it's just like, how did I? I know this function's there. How have I not used it for this? And you just help put things together. So you had shown, and I've been using this for one of my clients who also was in uh, at the conference listening to you speak. Um, you. You found a really, really unique way for gaining demographic data. It relates to Facebook and your email lists. And I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And I, I, I just I need you to share that with our listeners. It is probably one of the most valuable ways to collect demographic data that you had access to for years, and I've never thought of until I, until I heard you mentioning it, and I've used it probably a dozen times since. Sure. Um, well, thanks. Uh, so basically, uh, in, in Facebook advertising, uh, you have the ability to target uh, adds to pretty much any gazillion number of combinations of demographics, interests, behaviors, uh, that kind of stuff. So um, a question that sometimes comes up is like when people don't necessarily know like what the best target market to go after in terms of their, their different interests uh, and, and demographics and, and behaviors. And so uh, thankfully, uh, Facebook makes that very easy, easy for you to do. Um, there's a couple things you can do. Um, to figure out like what are the like the TV shows that the, that your that your uh, target market are, are watching or like what what things that they purchase or what stores that they frequent, uh, and the way that you do this is using the Facebook Audience Manager. All right, so the Audience Manager allows you to do two things. You can either upload a list of emails and phone numbers, uh, and then. Um, you know, Facebook will, will try to figure out, match those to, to users on their system and then, then do an analysis on that batch of emails so that you, you've provided them with and kind of distill sort of what, what their common characteristics are so that you can get a report of exactly what your, your target market looks like. Uh, and so imagine if you only uploaded a list of the phone numbers and emails of your of your best customers. Uh, well, then, that, then you could you could get a pretty good a picture of, of what they actually look like, and of course, this is important because generally in marketing, uh, you want to get more people who look like your best customers. <laughs> You know, uh, the other thing that you can do uh, is is um, you can um, do this on a remarketing segment. So, like uh, if you if you have a pixel on your website, on certain pages of your website or your blog, uh, you can pick uh, the the people who are visiting your website and, and do some analysis on on that audience and, and try to figure out kind of like you know. Uh, you know how many kids they have, or like all sorts of different uh, detailed granular analysis, um, like all the different features and functions. Oh, sorry, all the different targeting options of um, of uh, Facebook that they have to offer. They 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 expose in, in in this audience manager, and of course, I think the reason is uh, so that you know what ads to buy. But but still, um, even if you're not buying the ads, it, it gives you some pretty interesting insights about who's visiting your site and and who's uh, buying your stuff uh, that you might not otherwise know. When you're uh, when you're looking for those insights, Larry, um, what what are you looking for? What, what's important to you? 
Yeah, so what I, I can tell you what I'm not looking for. I'm not looking for uh, statistics and data where it's like 50-50. Like it says like, you know, 51% of your customers are men and 49% are women. Like that is kind of meaningless, right? Uh, because uh, you're not, it's not really actionable. You can't say like, oh, because it's like 51%, I'm going to shut shut off the 49. No, it's, it's like it's too close uh, together. What I'm looking for is like smoking guns, okay? I'm looking for something where it's like 70-30, okay? Where it's like... 70% of these people are, you know, made a donation to the, to the NRA or, or something terrible like this. Like, like just like you, 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 you look for these, these, like these, these characteristics or, or, or they all shop at the certain store or they all watch Shark Tank. You know what I mean? Like I'm looking for these smoking gun characteristics where uh, it's like, wow, that is a really good place to go fishing for, for more prospects uh, net, knowing that insight because it's like so discriminating you know what i mean and, and, well, and something like 70 30 would be i would consider to be pretty pretty discriminating well and something that i, I mean it, it sort of got my got my brain juices going and, and you touched on it in your explanation and that was brilliant and, and for our listeners who may not be understanding fully the value of this just try it once <laughs> and you'll 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 be sold um i done it and it gives you the opportunity to me anyway is yes you can save some money and, and speaking from experience yeah, you end up being far more efficient with your budget when you understand who to target. I mean, that's clear. You'll actually gain some great insight about where you should land them and how that page should be worded. Right? And when you understand, you, you brought up a good point. Okay, you, you, know, you know they all like Shark Tank. All right, well, you know, now you know what kind of imagery they're going to be you know, appealing to. You know what kind of voice they want to hear. Um, gained a, you'll gain a bunch of great stuff. Now, something else you'd mentioned, however, that went against everything I would have thought. And so I'm going to, it makes sense, but I'm going to need you to explain it. You, you had come up, the, the session I'd watched was five CTR hacks. Uh, or not five CTR hacks. Um, sorry, yeah. Oh, yeah, CTR. Now, you had talked about click-through rate. Now, one of the, the hack number one you had talked about, and this goes against everything, but the advice was actually extremely sound, is hack number one, you had listed Raise your click-through rates. Okay, how is raising my click-through rate actually going to be an efficient use of my budget? Everything I know about that means I spend more and get less. Uh, well, uh, so so first of all, this was a conversion conference, uh, and we were talking about uh, how to raise these unusual ways to, to dramatically increase your your uh, conversion rates. Uh, and, and by this, I mean like big you know, two times, three times, four times, five time increases, like 500% increases in conversion rates, not just merely like, you know, 2% changes in, in conversion rates, okay? Uh, so we're talking about taking like a conversion rate of, of three to like a, a conversion rate of, of maybe 15% uh, rather than like two to 2.1 or something. Uh, so, so my first hack was to raise your click-through rate. Now, you got to think about your your uh, landing page and, uh, and, and um you're, you're driving tra- traffic to it in various ways. Maybe you're doing pay-per-click advertising. Maybe you're doing like an email blast. But the point is like there's going to be some click-through rate uh, of people who see the ad or the email or whatever, however you're driving traffic to, to these pages, uh, even if it's an organic search listing. Uh, there's going to be some drop-off between the number of people who see the ad and the, or the listing and then actually click through to it. And um, what we've done is we've done a, a tremendous amount of research in terms of trying to correlate uh, click-through rates to conversion rates. And what we what we found was that there's a dramatic uh, correlation between uh, click-through rates and conversion rates in that, like, if you double your click-through rates, you'll double your conversion rates. It's that easy. Uh, and how this works is uh, if you can get people really, really excited to 
click on your ad or your organic search listing or your email or however you're driving traffic to, to your site, if you get people excited by uh, you know triggering certain emotional triggers or or curiosity or or certain you know really killer benefits and features that that really resonate with with the target buyer. Um, then that enthusiasm, uh, like the, the, that, makes them want to click on the thing, carries through to like signing up a lead or or, or actually purchasing the thing. Uh, so so like converse, conversely, think about like the low click through rate strategy. That's where you have like this really boring ad that you're hoping that nobody clicks on except for the perfect person. Well, that actually doesn't work that great because what happens is that if they don't, if you're not get, getting them all worked up and fired up to click on the thing. Uh, then they won't be that excited when they land on the on this page, uh, and then and actually they're they're less likely to buy. Uh, so so um, you know thinking about uh, you know this analysis is, is across you know, you know tens of thousands of accounts here. Uh, so so I'm I'm pretty pretty sure about this. Uh, I mean there's other benefits. Uh, obviously if if you're doing paid media, the the cost per click is inversely proportional to your 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 click through rates. So like if you if you have very very high click through rates, you'll be paying you know pennies or, or fractions of like you know five time discount on the cost per click. Whereas if you have low click through rates, um, you're going to have um, you know very high click cost per clicks. And in fact, uh, AdWords and Facebook they don't even like to show ads that have low click through rates because uh, that tells them that they're not very interesting. And so. Uh, they don't want to bother people with those ads to begin with. You see what I'm saying? Uh, so, so, so that's one of the big, big takeaways. Um, uh, any thoughts? Well, I mean, that's, that's obviously good. And it's funny because I remember when you started it, and I did not understand what you were about to teach me. Um, and it was a case of me going, okay, this doesn't actually make sense because why wouldn't I exactly what you're talking about? Why wouldn't I just pinpoint my ad at that perfect person? Right? Why, why not save myself the budget? It made a lot of sense. No, you need the high click-through rate. That means you got people excited. It's not the high click-through rate in itself is the end goal. It's that you have that when you've gotten somebody excited about your offering. Obviously, they're going to convert higher because now they're excited. Um, so it was, it was a great way to look at it. Just, just to add one quick point here, uh, the other really amazing reason why you should – why. CRO people, conversion people, should be focusing on click-through rate, in my opinion, uh, is because uh, conversion rates are biased. So, Dave, uh, if, if someone, if you're just measuring conversion rates, it's biased because you're, you're kind of measuring the interest of your offer based on the subset of people who've already raised their hand and decided that I'm going to check this thing out, okay? Okay. Uh, some, but what click-through rate tells you is whether or not your your offer is interesting or not uh, to a broader set of people. All right, so like you could be in a situation where you have like this very, very low, you know, half a percent click-through rate, but then have like a very high uh, conversion rate, like say seven or eight or nine or ten percent conversion rate. And I would argue that that's like if you're only looking at conversion rates, you're you're in a pretty bad spot there because what you have is you're you're in a niche market. You have like this this tiny niche thing that only applies to like, you know, a tiny number of people. Uh, but then when you do get those those rare people, uh, you know, maybe you can get like five or six or seven percent to convert. Uh, a, a better solution, in my opinion, would be to, like to, in terms of the business, would be to broaden your offering to be interesting to a bigger target market, uh, and, you know, so, so that maybe you can get like uh, you know ten percent of people interested in this offer, and so that would twenty times your your um, addressable market size, and then come up with something that, that 
that you could uh, offer to, to this broader audience. Yeah. You, you follow what I'm saying here? I, I follow exactly what you're saying. And you had to, it was funny, you're, I'm going to jump to your tip number five here, and it was a personal uh, you know, a, a issue that you'd had to deal with with your own website. And I think the hardest thing um, that you would have to do is sometimes, you know, you may have a high conversion rate because you pinpointed, but your offer may actually be problematic for a larger segment. Now, you were telling sort of a scenario that you found yourself in where you had a landing page, you had an offering on your site, um, and it didn't resonate as much with people that may have been interested. You know, you ended up having to change your offer, offering something free to get people in to understanding the power of, of what WordStream was, was going to be doing for them. How, I mean, that's interesting, and we, we can talk about the specifics of the offer change to put it into a context if you'd like, but one thing that really... I struggle with, and I, I think a lot of our listeners probably struggle with, is when you're looking at your own property, when you're looking at your own offering, how do you look at it unbiased like that? What made you first go, maybe it's my offering, when everybody loves themselves, everybody thinks their baby is perfect? How do you actually look and go, no, my baby is, is actually you know, kind of ugly here and, and I need to fix it? Well, it's, it's, it's incredibly difficult. Uh, you, have to, you have to be really honest with yourself and, and um, have, the, have kind of this ability to introspect. Uh, but basically, um, uh, you know, WordStream is a software company, and like a lot of software companies, we were offering a free trial of our uh, software. And, and um, it had kind of like a 2% conversion rate, which is, you know, right there in the average for the industry. Um, and so... You know, for years, like literally two years, we were doing all sorts of dumb things like changing the button colors and trying to change the Im image and changing the wording of this offer. But like the these small changes, they only made small changes to the to the conversion rate. Like maybe we went from 2 to 2.5 or 2.4. You know what I mean? Like uh, it was still – we're kind of stuck in a, in a, in a kind of a, a band, uh, uh, you know, between call it. Two and three percent, uh, and so uh, then then it struck us uh, like you know maybe uh, we should not offer a free trial like that's crazy because that's like you know most software companies offer a trial of the software they're doing, uh, but but the problem is with a trial is that you have to like learn how to use the product and you have to like it takes a little while for the software to configure you know you're you're, you're basically asking the user to, to kind of like you know spend an hour with your with your with your stuff and and maybe they they were looking for something quick and didn't have that much time to to um, to dedicate to this effort and so the idea was just to to, to to, instead of making those small changes on the offer, like oh, like let's change the guarantee or change the pricing and all this stuff, like what if we radically changed what we're offering? Instead of making them try the software, what if we just quickly graded their report, their their AdWords account, and gave them a report card and kind of giving them a score based on like how they're doing against their competitors? So maybe instead of taking an hour, it takes like you know fifteen seconds, uh, and then they can quickly see all the, the problems and opportunities uh, that, that they have in their account. And so what that did was that it changed the conversion rate not from like 2 to 2.5 or something like that. It went from 2 to like something like 40%. Do you see what I'm saying? So this is like, this is what I'm talking about. Like the big, big changes result in big changes. So like uh, sometimes it's like very difficult to, to, to uh, kind of make, make the offer uh, work if, if – um, 
you know, if, if, if it's not a great offer. And, and, and in fact, what WordStream has done is we've analyzed billions of dollars of high converting things, and what we see is massive differentiation in the offer is, is, the, is the common denominator. So it has nothing to do whether or not your, your, your offer is pretty or not. Um, it's just how differentiated. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter if your house is blue, purple, pink, if your stairs are three steps high or four steps high. Is the house useful? Is it somewhere you can put your stuff securely, safely, and it'll keep dry, as opposed to the uh, neighbor's houses, which aren't as well built? So, something like that. Don't make cosmetic changes. If you're going to make a change, commit to it. Make a change. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, absolutely, because, um, I mean, th- those are the types of changes who's, who, uh, where the, the increase actually persists. Like so much of these little small changes are involved with changing it's like an image or something. Like it gives you a, a little bit of a boost because it's new, uh, but then after, let's say, a month, it's no longer new. And so that boost just goes away. It's kind of like a transient gain. Whereas like structural changes to like, yeah, I used to be offering this other thing and now I'm offering this other thing that's 10 times better, uh, those actually persist over time. Well, speaking of time, I'm afraid we're butting up against a commercial break. Larry, can we get you to stick around for a few moments? We've got to do a message here on Cranberry.fm. So, friends, you're listening to Webcology on Cranberry.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. We're joined by Larry Kim from WordStream, and we're going to be back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PPC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Looking for a white label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Bring in unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands.
technology. Take you to the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing, and we're joined by Larry Kim from WordStream. And uh, Dave and Larry were just walking through the... Um, Sally, uh, 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 parts of a uh, talk that um, Larry gave at Conversion Conference a couple of weeks ago. Um, Dave, you want to pick it up with another question? I, I do. Well, you know what? I got a million of them, and I could never get through them all here. But I've got you only for, for another, like, uh, 10, 12 minutes or so, so let's jump right in. Um, Larry, you also did a webinar, I, I was with you, and this was actually shortly thereafter. And one of the things you were talking about in that webinar is come to life. I want to cover that one really quickly, but get get into some of the stuff we haven't seen yet, but, but that's coming. Um, you did a webinar. It was on things that are upcoming on, on some AdWords changes. Now, one of them was the ads on Google Maps, which has been, been announced sort of more, more broadly at this point. Let's start there. How, how impactful is this going to be when, when we start seeing ads, not just on Google Maps in general, but in, that, in the snack pack, like up in the organic results and in, in those three map-based listings up at the top? Yeah, you know, uh, local SEO, I think, has been kind of like this little area that's largely hasn't been kind of um, invaded by ads the way that a lot of other, like, say, shopping results, for example, uh, have. Uh, but I think uh, Google is uh, finally kind of moving to monetize the, the local search results. Um, the couple areas, uh, you know, obviously they've already had uh, ads around Google Maps. Uh, so, like, when, when you do local searches, you know, ads ads would show up. Uh, I think what was new, uh, specifically announced uh, very recently, was this notion of ads on the map. So, we're not talking about ads to the left or below Google Maps, but actually in the Google Maps app and on the desktop application, uh, you know, when you're pinning, when you have a pin on the on the map, like there would be actual businesses and offers being highlighted that are along the route uh, that you're taking from point A to point B, uh, and, and so, you know, it's kind of a big deal uh, because uh, there's something like 1.5 billion directions given uh, by Google Maps on any given day, uh, and so. Uh, that's a lot of opportunities to get in front of people, if, especially if you're like a local business that, that relies on foot traffic, like to be able to kind of highlight your business to people who are passing by. I think that's that's very interesting. Um, yeah, but, but it, Larry, if I can interrupt you really quickly, um, from what I heard you just say, if you if somebody is doing a directional search using Google Maps, Google yep. will insert advertisements for businesses along the way. How does Google choose what inventory to show whom? Oh, it's, it's, it's based on something called user context. Uh, so just kind of think of like how Google now tries to figure out what information you you might be in, interested in. Like you have to check in for a flight, or or, or um, you know your your concert tickets, or or, or or like whatever. Like it tries to figure out what. Uh, okay, so my my research history, something like that, I. Yeah, so so it, it's looking basically Google has your user context. It, it knows all the websites that you've you've visited recently. It knows like you know all the searches that you've done recently. Uh, so like say if you were searching for contact lenses, okay, uh, and you happen to be passing by a Walmart or uh, like a Walgreens or something like that, like. It, it might actually pick the, an offer for like contact lens solution or something like that, that, that's that's relevant yeah. uh, to show that to you uh, to remind you to get that thing along your way. Uh, so it's so it's looking at you know things like um, uh, your 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 demographics, like it knows who you are, your your interests, your behaviors, um, your searching history, your browsing history. Uh, 
uh, they may even use things like your your Gmail inbox. I, I don't know. Like they they haven't really they they haven't really been specific. But well, uh, you know they have. Here they comes have a lot of here comes the twenty five cent question on this one. How do you as a marketer affect how your clients' ads might show up when a uh, a search is conducted that way? So it's it's very simple. All you do is you add location extensions. So it's not like a matter of. Um, Having to figure out all the different kind of signals uh, that 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 you might be interested in. Uh, this is all machine learning powered stuff, not like manual uh, like entering in of of, of criteria. Uh, so uh, th- this is uh, it's just you just add location extensions to your ads, and then in, through the magic of machine learning, your ads will pop up to the right people. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and and, and it's it's pay per click, so you you don't have to. Um, do it if it's not working, and you can bid up and down. Um, but but that's it's kind of magic. No one. I, I, I know. I actually I, I follow up questions on that one. But something I want to make sure that we talk, and we're talking about location, and I want to make sure that we we get to it because this is big big upcoming um, in store conversions. Uh, you know, I'll just let you take it from there because I, I know you know what I'm what I'm talking about. But but this is a big big announcement from Google. Nine out of ten searches that are local in nature like like looking for a direction or looking for a store they end up with people actually visiting a store uh and so that's been very challenging for for pay-per-click marketers to measure the roi of these local search ads because the they end up purchasing something in their physical store as opposed to like a like a web checkout where you can cookie the the and, and track uh using the the um JavaScript, uh, but but I think what's new here is that um, now they've mapped out. Google has like mapped out the, the the GPS coordinates of like two million stores, okay, uh, worldwide. And so uh, what what it can do is it can tell if someone who clicked on an ad actually visited your store, like went into your actual store. And and um, the way that works is that. All cell phones have um, this notion of a location history that that nobody ever remembers to turn off, uh, and by accessing that, it can figure out whether or not you visited the store or not. So I think that it's really interesting uh, for for local search, uh, like the combination of maps plus an ability to track the effectiveness of those ads in terms of in-store visits. Uh, pretty compelling. Oh, indeed. And, I mean, and frightening on a variety of different levels. I saw my, my co-host's face when you talked about that. It was the same as mine. I'm like, oh, right, of course. Right? Like, you know it. You know it in your heart that they're tracking all this. But then you hear, you know, you talking about it. And it's like, oh, crap, right. Um, there, there were some interesting things coming up on, on the interface. And I know that's we're, we're, we're like a year out. Um, but it, it, you, you managed to get some, some sort of ideas about what the future holds from an interface that you had a chance to sort of play with uh, sure, that, on, on the AdWords interface. Sure. I was given a, a demo station that where I could use the, the new interface that's coming out next year um, and, uh, and play around with it. First of all, it's, it's definitely not ready because it's like it's, it's, it reminds me of one of those, those websites that are being under construction and you hit a link and it says like under construction. Uh, like that, it was literally like that. Uh, like half of the neighborhoods were, were kind of just not working and they had like placeholder pages. Uh, but uh, of, this, of the tools that I was able to see, I can just give you a couple themes. Uh, there's this thing called the, the Dimensions tab, uh, which is uh, currently like a dumping ground for reports that, that AdWords advertisers use, like like uh, what clicks came from mobile, what, came, what clicks came from different different cities and states, that, that kind of 
kind of drill down um, you know additional uh, reporting so those uh, those reports appear to be gone from this dimension tab and are now placed uh, directly into the campaigns tabs so like as you're like just viewing the performance of your keywords you can just go to the next tab and see kind of where, where what devices they came from and, and what um, what uh, cities and states they came from, that kind of thing. So just trying to make those reports a little bit more visible. Uh, same thing uh, with with bidding. So the ability to, to bid, uh, like or actually that has nothing to do with the user interface. But it's, I think it's just like a reskin, like a like just trying to make the the uh, the data more available, like in places in the in the, in the interface where where you might uh, actually want to access that information. Okay. Um, Larry, we have to shift gears a little bit. We're down to maybe three or four minutes before we have to we have to go to news. Um, earlier, Dave was talking about ways that you were um, were were mining data out of Facebook. And at the beginning of the show, I, I mentioned some of your writing about LinkedIn, and you, you wrote something. I, I, can't, I can't even remember exactly what you wrote about a year and a half ago, but it blew my mind about how to just dig for data in LinkedIn. Now, I'm not asking about how to dig for data in LinkedIn. Um, again, we only got a couple of minutes. I just want your opinion. When Microsoft paid um, $65 billion for, 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 or $23 billion for what did they buy? Uh, LinkedIn is like a couple things. It's a sales tool for people trying to sell you stuff. Uh, they probably got your your emails and phone numbers from LinkedIn. Uh, it's a tool. Oh, for they recru- certainly do. It, it's probably a, a, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a tool for recruiters, like to help you know fill the jobs that they're trying to fill. Uh, it's a it's a tool for job seekers trying to find the, their next gig. Um, it's also a social like a like a quasi social network where you can post like slide shares and blog posts on LinkedIn Pulse and SlideShare. Although you know it's very small, it's not in the, not in the same level of like a Facebook or a Twitter uh, in terms of uh, active users. Uh, and then it's got a kind of a mediocre ad network you know for for doing advertising to people with certain characteristics um so you know it's kind of this weird situation where um you know linkedin hasn't been doing too well like financially for for quite a while they've they've been on a slump and um you know uh companies that get bought uh, they're either doing fantastically well or are kind of in trouble and I, I actually think that this was more of the latter but uh that's just my opinion um any thoughts but, but, but why would microsoft buy it what's what's in it for them you know microsoft buys all sorts of stuff remember they bought like nokia or something like what happened there like they spent billions of dollars on this thing and like i don't i don't know well, where and, and then they pooch their handset play um, like Microsoft bought Nokia because they they wanted to get into the handset game. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm I'm curious why why LinkedIn and for that price at this time. You know, I just think that their office suites of like Outlook and all this stuff, maybe they they could augment the like their email technology if if they had all this this database of contacts with structured data around like, you know, company and, and name and email and phone number, all this stuff. So maybe, maybe there's something, something to do with an integration with Outlook. Um, the, you know, I don't think it's for their advertising network because it, it, it wasn't really that, I wouldn't say that the LinkedIn ads network was like the most fantastic product out there, you know, like it was, it was kind of struggling. Um, so, uh, you know, 
honestly, you'd have to ask these Microsoft people. For for me, it just seems like they overpaid. Uh, but but what do I know? All right, I know I, I got the message from the studio. They're going to be playing us out here shortly, Larry. Loved having you on. For uh, for listeners, this is Larry Kim from WordStream. Larry, just going to say, I had a chance to view your product a couple weeks ago. Um, I'm, a, I'm a convert, and uh, one of my clients is now a client of yours. So, uh, fantastic product. Folks, check it out. That's WordStream. This is Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. We'll be back next week. Webcology on Cranberry.fm. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited.